Hey, welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it out. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. All right, open your Bibles to the first chapter of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy 1, if you don't have a traditional Bible and you're comfortable raising your hand, just do that and one of my friends will bring you one. You can either borrow that or you can keep it. It's our gift to you. You can also take your smart device and you can open up the YouVersion app. Or it's also called the Bible app and all the notes and scriptures have already been uploaded in that app for you to follow along with. Of course, we'll also put the scriptures right up there on the screens behind you just to make it as easy as possible. If you're watching us online or at one of our other gatherings, I love you and I'm so glad that you guys are a part of our family. Happy Mother's Day. Give your mama a hand today. Come on. Tiger Woods clap. It's a, oh, yes, yes, yes. She gave you, gave you life. You could put a little sting in your hand about her. And so if you're a mother in here, I'm so grateful to you. I love you. My mom is watching. I love you. Mom, so grateful for you. And it's, uh, I'm excited to start this new series today. We're almost always in a series of messages here at Life Church, partially because it just helps us keep on course. It helps us keep away from just shooting in the dark what we're going to talk about every week, trying to figure out what direction we're going to go. And uh, we, we have a few different types of series of messages that we do here. We do uh, one that's called a topical series. A topical series is one where we talk about something like love or about money or about relationships. Uh, we also do what we call felt need series. Those are things like how to beat a bad day, one month to live. The last series that we just finished, the rise after the fall, that was kind of a, a felt need series. What that means is that we identify a need that we feel like is kind of a widespread thing among uh, people, and we write a group of messages to kind of try to address that. Uh, finally, we do what are called exegetical series, and that's a series of messages based on one particular book of the Bible. We've done 16 weeks on Ephesians. We've done 12 on Philippians. We did nine on the book of James. Uh, we did. We intended to do six months on the book of Romans, but we never did get to the book of Romans. It was a number of messages about who Paul was. And then like the last half of it kind of transitioned into like a quasi series on the book of Acts. And I love all three of those types of series, but the type that challenges me the most are the exegetical ones. Because within those, we try to go deep into the content, deep into the context, into the background, what that book was saying when it was written then that could give us a better insight into what it's saying to how we're supposed to live now. And, and, and this series is one of those series. It's an exegetical type of series. So we're going to spend the next 10 weeks talking about the four chapters that we find in the book of 2 Timothy, starting today with the message that we're calling The Rundown. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're grateful to you. This is the day that you have made so we will rejoice and be glad in it. God, thank you for mamas. God, thank you for grandmamas. Thank you for people who put their life on the line. And we're not, like, it's not that we're not grateful for dads or for kids, God, but, like, 
they get their day too. So today we just give a little extra push, a little extra love to the moms in here. But for all of us, I pray that you would shave off whatever burrs are found on us, that you would shift some things, move some things, change some things so that when we leave here, we'd be less like us and more like you in Jesus name. Amen. Uh, so second Timothy, obviously by title, we know it's Paul's second letter to Timothy, but it's actually Paul's final and most personal letter. You know, final words are important. You do well to pay attention to what someone chooses to say with their last words. Are they words of encouragement, of motivation, regret, repentance? In the last 25 years of being in the ministry, I've had the privilege and the challenge of standing at the side of countless deathbeds as people take their last breath and say their last word. And some of the most hurtful to me is to see someone whose eyes fill with regret and the last words that they're able to utter are, I'm sorry. Our, our speaker last week, Pastor Maury, he, he talked about an encounter with his spiritual father, a man named Jadon George. And Pastor George was sick. He was in the hospital. He knew that he was dying. He could feel it within him that he was dying. And so he asked his daughter to bring him his phone. And he, he made one last phone call. And it was to Pastor Maury, who spoke last week. And, and his, his pastor said, I've asked you many things in my life. I'm going to ask you for two more. I'm going to kiss my lady and I'm going to go see Jesus. Pastor Maury said, anything, pastor, what, what can I do? He said, I want you to pastor my family and I want you to promise me you're going to meet me at the throne. He hung up the phone and 15 minutes later, Pastor Maury got a call from Pastor J. Don George's daughter and said he's gone to Jesus. Talk about a guy who understood the power of last words. My grandfather, he used his last words to invite Jesus into his life. After a hard, sometimes rebellious life at 92 years of age, he used his last words as his most important words. This second letter to Timothy, it shows us St. Paul or the Apostle Paul's last words. And he wrote them during yet another challenging time in his life. He wrote them during yet another time that he was imprisoned. And it specifically meant to address his beloved co-worker, his, his protege, his spiritual son, Timothy. And we don't know how long it had been since he wrote 1 Timothy, but what we do know is that Paul's situation has changed for the worst. Uh, when he wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome, which uh, technically could be referring to his time under house arrest that's mentioned in Acts 28, but I think uh, it's more likely, particularly when you read some of the language that Paul uses in some of the requests that he makes in chapter four, that he had actually been released from imprisonment, had another season of fruitful ministry, and then he was arrested again, probably in a city called Troas. But either way, Paul says that he's in the middle of his court trial, and the trial isn't going well. He's, he's pretty sure that he's not gonna survive this one. He's made it out of a lot, you read the 13 books that he wrote in the New Testament, bruh, he made it out of a lot of stuff. He is like a cat with nine lives, but he is convinced that this is it. He's not going to make it 
out of this one. And it is out of that really dark situation that Paul reaches out and appeals to, to Timothy, who it seems is still on assignment leading the church that Paul started in the city of Ephesus. It says a lot about Timothy that Paul chose to channel his last words toward him. Paul loved Timothy. He had an undying, unwavering belief in him. And so he asks Timothy to come be with him in the prison so that, so that he could see him one last time, which again is a big deal, that of all the people that he could have invited to share his last moments with, he chose Timothy. One of my favorite authors, a guy named Bob Goff, he wrote in one of his books that he's spending his life trying to surround himself with the eight people that he wants to surround his deathbed. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of those eight people for anyone. Paul, he chose one, Timothy. Again, so he could see him one last time, but also so he could like pass on to him this mission, this mandate that he had of planting churches all over the world. And, and the letter is designed pretty simply. There's two large sections, and then there's a conclusion. So you have one section where Paul challenges Timothy to accept his calling as a leader, then a second section where Paul implores him to deal with a group of corrupt teachers that are still in Ephesus, and, and he begins by thanking God for Timothy and his family, specifically his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois, who had immersed the young Timothy in the story of the Old Testament scriptures. Like Jesus' disciples, Timothy, who this letter is written to, would have memorized huge portions of Scripture. That would have included, but not been limited to, the Torah, or as the Jewish people call, the law. It's the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Timothy would have memorized all of those books. And you know, we've kind of lost the art of doing that in our fast-paced, instant-access culture. We've We've largely lost the art of memorizing scriptures and teaching our kids to do the same. But can I tell you that if you don't have this book in you, if you don't have the words deep inside of your spirit, then when challenges come, when, when difficulties come, you're not going to be able to deal with them the way that God wants you to deal with them because you'll be dealing with them in your own strength, in your own sight. But the writer of the Proverbs says, trust not in your own understanding, but lean on God's grace. All of those things, the love and the image and the understanding of everything that this book would tell us. There's a, there's a great difficulty for us in realizing that whatever it is that goes in us is the thing that in challenging times is going to come out of us. And so we've lost this, this drive, this art, if you would, of memorizing scriptures. And, and I think part of it is because we think we're going to be tested somehow on it. Like, uh, you don't need to know the GPS coordinates of what it is that you're saying. You just need to know that it is from God, that it is from the Holy Spirit, that it is 
from the book. I mean, I don't know my kids' phone numbers off by heart. I just, I know if I press their name on my phone, it dials them. You feel me? I don't know half the time my home address. You ever go to write your home address on a form and you're like, wait a minute, is it, is it one, two, one, three, five, or is it one, one, two, three, is it one, three, one, two, five? And you, I have to look it up in my phone. I have to look it up on my Waze app all the time what my home address is. Maybe it's because I've been hitting the head too many times, and that's my problem. But here's the, like, I don't know the GPS coordinates half the time, which is kind of annoying to me when people come to me and they say, well, you know, uh, Psalm 117 says, and then I'm like, okay, show off, whatever. You know, like, for me, I feel bad because I don't know the GPS, and you don't need to know, like, the GPS coordinates of it. What you need to know is that whatever you are full of is going to come out when you are pressed. And so we've lost this art of getting people to memorize scripture, but it's something that we need to get back to. In fact, I've been, I've been watching this show on Apple TV called Truth Be Told, and the, the main character is a lady named Poppy Parnell, and in one of the episodes, she had this great line. She said, teach your children scriptures early, and they'll be able to access armor they didn't even know they had. You know, our kids need to be covered. If you, if you have... If you have kids, especially teenagers right now, I think that it is the hardest time in the history of the world for a teenager to be a teenager. And for all of you mamas and daddies who brought a little baby up here on this stage, that same thing will be able to be said about your child when they become a teenager. Our kids are sent out into the wild every day. And we expect them to survive without the tools that are necessary. And so I want my kids, I want my grandkids someday to be able to understand what it is that needs to come out of them. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help them God. And so never underestimate the example that you're leaving for your kids or for your grandkids. Never underestimate the investment that you're making in them or the seeds that you're sowing into their lives because you never know when or how those seeds are going to grow. I've told this story here more than one time, but it, I think it bears repeat. I think it's interesting, by the way, that this book, it's, it talks a lot about Lois and Eunice. That's the mama and the grandmama. And I think it's interesting here on this Mother's Day. We didn't plan for this series to start on Mother's Day. It's supposed to start last week, but I added a speaker to the last series. And so this just incidentally happened to start on Mother's Day. And I think it is a book that Paul writes to someone who time and time again within this letter, he refers back to the mother and the grandmother of his protege. Because Lois and Eunice were believers. They were Christians. But his father wasn't. Timothy's father was Greek and he was actually agnostic. He was totally opposed to Jesus. And so I think it's interesting on this Mother's Day that we're talking about a book that gives such great homage. So mamas and grandmamas, we can't thank you enough for the holes that you wore on the carpet by the side of your bed praying for us. My grandmother, she uh, started to pray for me before she was even out of high school. Years and years, she would go to this camp in Ontario, Canada when she was a teenager and she would come to the front after the end of the service and she would lay on the ground face down and she would sob and cry and pray and cry out to God for her kids and her grandkids that hadn't even been born yet. And that seed has grown not only in my life, but in many of yours. And so Timothy's mother and grandmother, they instilled this deep love and hunger for scriptures and a deep love and faith in the Messiah, Jesus. 
And it is because of that firm faith that Paul offers his first challenge to Timothy. He calls him to reject any temptation to be ashamed of the gospel or the good news about Jesus. And there is, there is a level of challenge to our faith in our culture. I don't know if, if you are paying attention, but it is hard. It is hard to be a believer in the year 2022. It is, there is a shame cancel culture that is going on among people who are believers. And so Paul says to Timothy, bro, don't, don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed about the whole Jesus thing. And quite frankly, don't be embarrassed about me, Paul says, because he's suffering in prison for announcing the gospel or that good news. And the reason that Paul needs to emphasize that to Timothy is because of the negative stigma that, stigma that he had gained through his frequent times in prison. It made a lot of people who followed him and had heard him preach doubt his calling as a minister or as an apostle. And he specifically mentions two guys. I think it's, you know, of all the, these guys are going to go down in infamy, like for all time, for thousands of years. These guys have been, their names have been in people's mouths about how much of a dirtbag they are. And so like Paul just calls, there's really like three guys specifically that he calls out, but here, namely he says Phagellus and a guy named Hermogenes. They're dudes who had deserted him because they were ashamed of being associated with him now that he was a criminal. Talk about a rise after the fall. And so Paul asks Timothy to reject any fear of shame that would accompany coming to see him. And can I tell you that I think I think we as believers, if this book is true, if this book plays out the way that it says it's going to play out, uh, yeah. Do you, ever, uh, you ever read the Bible and get mad at it? It's like, uh, bro, seriously? Like, uh, have you ever thrown your Bible? Maybe not you. There's been times, man, I've read something in there. I, one time I read something that made me so mad, I threw it across the room and the whole binding came off of it. And I was like, oh, oh my God, they're going to go to hell. Do I even need to read it again? No, so, so then I just picked it up. I put a little duct tape on it. It was fine. But it was like this challenge within me that it was like, it was, it like made me mad the things that it was saying about me that were true. And when I read about what the Bible would call the end times, if you read like Revelation or, or if you read Daniel, there's this, if what that says like really plays out the way the imagery seems to suggest that it's going to play out, there is, there is a challenge for us to not live our lives in fear or to live our lives in shame. And, and Paul understands that when he tells Timothy this, and I understand when I ask you this, it's a big ask. It's a, it's a costly request. He's not blind to the fact that it could put Timothy at risk. And so he reminds Timothy that Jesus' grace is a source of power, which is really important because he's not only telling Timothy, but he's also telling us that we're going to need that power because following Jesus isn't easy. It requires everything we have. And, and he emphasizes that by, by likening uh, following Jesus using three metaphors. He, he says, following Jesus is like enlisting as a soldier who's striving to please their commanding officer. And then he says it's like being an athlete who's training for competition or that it's like a hardworking farmer. And all three of these metaphors involve a person who's committed to something bigger than themselves, 
someone who's willing to sacrifice, someone who's willing to endure challenges to accomplish a greater goal. Of course, the highest example that he gives is of Jesus himself, who because of his commitment to the Father suffered crucifixion at the hands of the Romans, who ironically, Paul now finds himself sitting in prison, suffering at the hands of the same Romans awaiting execution. And so he's communicating to us that hardship and sacrifice, they're they're inherent to the Christian life. It's why Jesus' resurrection is the foundation of Christian hope. I'm sorry that at times when you read scripture, it is not encouraging, it is discouraging. One of the misnomers about non-denominational or evangelical or quickly growing churches is that all we do is skim the surface. But can I tell you that this book doesn't allow you to do that? It, it, it tells us news that we don't want to hear. And as much as I don't like to get up and tell people, hey, your life is going to be hard. I have to tell you that your life at times is going to be hard. That when you commit your life to Jesus, it won't always make your life easier. That there will be moments that will be so challenging that it will make you wonder why you ever even made this commitment. That'll make you wonder if he's even there. That'll make you wonder if he's turned his ears off to your words and to the words of your family or your culture. And so Paul is warning Timothy and he's warning us, listen, there's a prize on the other side of this, but, but it is going to be challenging for us to live our lives to inherit the eternal life that God has promised us. And so Paul puts this book into a very short, powerful passage. He says, if we die with him, he will live with us. If we endure, then we will reign with him. If we deny him, then he'll deny us. If we're unfaithful, he's going to remain faithful because he is unable to deny his own nature. He says that that God's love for our world has opened up a new hope through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So for those who will take the risk of trusting and following him, God promises us not only vindication, but he promises us a life of fulfillment. But for those who reject him, Paul says God will honor that decision and he will do the same. But people's faithlessness will never compel God to abandon his faithfulness. And so God calls Timothy to faithfulness knowing it may come with a cost. And then he ends the first chapter, the first portion of the book. And then he moves on to the second half of the letter where he calls Timothy to confront these certain teachers in Ephesus because uh, they had begun spreading this false teaching that was going through the church like a virus. They, they had interestingly targeted and corrupted a number of influential women in the church because the enemy knew if he could get inside the heads and the hearts of these women that it would trickle down to the rest of their families. And if you read 1 Timoth Timothy, he also addresses a group of women, Paul does, and it's probably that same group of women that he had to deal with. And, and interestingly, Paul doesn't offer much detail about what the, the teacher's bad theology was because Timothy already knew what it was. But he does give us a hint. He says that these people are teaching that the resurrection had already taken place. And that's dangerous because we know that Jesus, because we just uh, participated in Resurrection Sunday, we know that Jesus died, 
he defeated hell, death, and the grave, and he rose again. But we also know that there is another resurrection coming. That scripture says that at some point Jesus will return, and when he returns, he will resurrect you and I. He will resurrect us from the death and the despair that we're living in. And so for these teachers to teach that the resurrection had already happened, they basically were teaching that there was no hope beyond the people who had already received the gospel. And so either they were teaching something like that or they were just distorting the resurrection life that Paul was teaching that begins through the power of the Spirit. Either way, the problem is they've abandoned this hope of the resurrection of a new creation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And they, they instead embrace this like um, hyper-spiritualized Christianity that had disconnected them from day-to-day life. Now, I, I was raised up in the charismatic church. I was raised up in, in a Pentecostal church, and I had many great experiences from that. But I also have wounds from that. Also uh, have times that I remember wanting somebody to pray for me because I was struggling with depression and them trying to cast a demon out of me. Not everything is demonic. Not everything requires that you fall on the floor and be unconscious for 42 minutes while everyone else runs around and blows trumpets around you. Not everything requires that, now I believe in speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues every single day. And I think that is for not just then, I believe that that is for now. But I also believe that God is very practical. I also believe that this book is filled with great lessons and teachings that can fix your things like depression or despair without you having to have something cast out of you. You, you, can, you can do that through the blessed assurance that, that Jesus is yours. In other words, these people had become spiritually minded that they were no earthly good. And so Paul calls Timothy to raise up faithful leaders who are going to teach the real good news about Jesus. And in, and in raising those leaders up, he gives them one really powerful, practical, important piece of advice. He says, avoid senseless arguments that result from debating with those teachers. You know, uh, there's a lot of debate in our culture. I don't know if, you've, if you're privy to this. But there's always somebody mad at somebody. Sometimes people get frustrated that I don't talk more about current events. They don't. I mean, there's enough going on in the world that I wouldn't even have to write messages, if we can just be honest. I could do what you call ticker tape sermons. Ticker tape sermons are whatever is going across the bottom of Fox News or CNN on Saturday night that you could talk about it and there's enough fodder on those channels for you to talk about that trash all day long. But can I tell you something? By Monday afternoon, most of the time that ticker tape is different. And so people want me to talk about this and they want me to talk about that, but here's the thing. Everything that we're dealing with in our culture right now has already been dealt with in this book. And so if we'll systematically read, if we'll systematically study, if we'll systematically speak and teach out of this book, then we'll address everything that needs to be addressed in the timing that the Holy Spirit wants you to address it. 
I don't know very many arguments that were won with a picket sign. I don't know very many minds that were changed when someone drove by and saw someone's message on a piece of cardboard and a painter's stick. I don't know very many people who drove by and oh, <laughs> 47 years I've been thinking that. <laughs> no wonder I'm so dumb. What I do think is that when you surround yourself with godly people and they begin to breathe godly influence into your life, godly principles into your life, and you begin to instill scripture into your life, then when you get surrounded by people who are like that, you get to be a light in the darkness. And so you don't have to yell your opinion. You don't have to argue. Because like, listen, most people, if I got into an argument with most of you about something you were really passionate about, I'm not going to change your mind. You're just going to think I'm a creep. And so Mark Twain said, never argue with a fool. They'll drag you down to their level and then beat you with experience. So Paul says to Timothy, don't argue with them. Instead, he tells Timothy to make sure that he and his leadership keep the main thing, the main thing, that they should stay focused on the core storyline and message of the scriptures, which he says are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in the Messiah Jesus. He's saying the whole point of the scriptures is to tell you a unified story that leads to Jesus and has the wisdom to offer the entire world. He talks about scripture's nature and purpose. He says that all scripture is divinely breathed, which literally means saturated in God's spirit, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit's role in guiding the people who wrote this book, Paul included, so that what they wrote was actually what God wanted his people to hear, that God speaks to his people in and through the scripture for a very practical purpose, which Paul reveals. He says, this book, these scriptures, they're useful for teaching. In other words, telling me things I didn't know before. They're useful for challenging me. In other words, for getting up in my face about things I say I believe that I don't actually consistently live. They're useful for correcting, for exposing my messed up way of thinking and behaving. And finally, they're useful for training me in righteousness, for showing me a new way to be truly human and to prepare me for doing good. And then Paul closes this letter with a couple things that I think are just funny and, and that just speak to his closest to Timothy. He, he reminds Timothy, he says, now remember, I'm probably not going to make it out of prison. Uh, so if you could get here as fast as possible, that would be great because I really want to see you. And incidentally, if you could get here before winter, that would be great because I don't want to freeze in my cell. Uh, so I'm going to need my heavy coat. That's the, it's interesting. I think it's hilarious. There's all these great spiritual teachings. And then he says, oh, yeah, oh, shoot, I almost forgot. P.S., I'm going to need my coat. And I left some papers behind. If you could bring those papers, then I don't want anybody else to get those papers. If, if you could bring those, I left those behind in Troas, and it was probably when he got arrested, he probably got distracted and didn't have the time to grab those things. I just think that's funny. And so... So he, he says, bring my coat, bring my papers. Oh, and by the way, uh, there's this cat that lives in town. Uh, his name's Alexander. I need you to really pay close attention to that guy because that guy's extra creepy. He's extra dangerous. You should avoid that guy at all costs because he's the guy who got me thrown in this prison in the first place. And then he goes on and he says this like really, like really kind of heartbreaking end and then the, literally the letter descends. He tells Timothy how he feels like he's been abandoned by everyone in prison. You ever feel like you've been abandoned? 
You ever feel like in the hardest times of your life, you are all alone? Paul says, bro, everybody has left me except for Jesus. But then he goes on to tell Timothy that the presence of Jesus is all he needs because Jesus is going to stand with him and he will deliver, with, deliver him even if he dies. And this morning, in the midst of these challenges that, that we're facing, the difficult times that we're in, I wonder if you have felt like everybody else has walked out on you. You gave your life to Jesus and now your family doesn't talk to you. Your friends, you don't have anything in common with them anymore, so you don't get to, to hang out with them anymore. And Paul says, bro, I totally understand. And so he, he says that this serves as a reminder that Paul's very influential life and mission were marked by persistent challenges, by persistent suffering, by persistent struggles. And it reminds Timothy and you and I that following Jesus involves risks. It involves sacrifices. It, it involves inviting tension and discomfort into your life. But to, to remember that those things are not a sign of Jesus' absence. But instead, as Paul and generations of believers who came after him discovered, it is precisely in those dark and difficult moments that Jesus' love and faithfulness can become the most tangible things in our lives. So we're going to spend the next two and a half months looking at this relatively short letter that is long on lessons that at least for me are really, really relevant for this season of my life. Can I just be candid with you and say the last couple years have had more difficulty for me than the 46 years before them did collectively? It's, it's been heavy. Life has been heavy. We have been forced to deal with things that no generation before us has had to deal with, and many of us were not equipped. And the one thing that equips us to deal with this, i.e. the church, was the one thing that was taken away from us. And so Paul says there's going to be struggles, and the lessons in this, these 83-ish verses are not only relevant to me, I hope they're relevant for you. And so I wonder today, are you going through seasons of stretching, of sifting, of struggles? If you are, you're not going to want to miss any of these messages because 2 Timothy, it gives us the rundown. Would you close your eyes all across this place? Um, if you could summarize the entire Bible in one verse, the late great evangelist Billy Graham said that it would be in the verse, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him will never perish, but have everlasting life. About uh, 25 years ago, I, I hit a point in my life where I realized I was broken, that nothing I was doing was working, and I was desperate for anything. And it was in that moment that someone presented this idea that if I surrendered my life to Jesus, that he would return that investment of my life with hope, not just for this life, but hope for a next life. And that if I would 
pray this prayer and invite Jesus into my life, if I meant it in my, in my heart, that I would be what he called saved. I would be rescued from my sin, from my shame, from my life. And maybe you came in here today and you're like I was 25 years ago and you're, your life is broken. It's not working. You've tried everything that you can try. And today you say, Sean, I'm desperate enough that I will try Jesus. This morning we're gonna give you an opportunity to exchange your life for his hope. Here's how. Just a moment, I'm gonna ask for people to do two things. First is uh, with every head bowed and every eye closed with nobody looking around, I'm gonna ask for people to, to uh, raise their hand and make eye contact with me if you say, I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I want one. And then after that, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to repeat a prayer after me. And if you repeat it and you mean it in your heart, the Bible says that you will be saved. So if you're here and you say, Sean, I don't have Jesus in my life, but I'd like to, with nobody looking around, would you raise your hand and make eye contact with me? Thank you, thank you, thanks, thank you, thanks, thank you, thanks, thanks, thank you. Anybody else that miss anybody? Thanks. Okay, I'm gonna ask everybody in here to say these words after me. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've got sin in my life, but I don't want it anymore. Please forgive me. Come into my life, change me, make me different. Make me new, be my Lord, be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer, would you help us help you and either fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you that says hello across the top. You can tear off the bottom part, check the box. It's highlighted in yellow that says I'm choosing to follow Jesus and either put it in the black buckets when they come around here in just a moment or uh, you can take it out to the Welcome Center. You can also scan the QR code on the seat back in front of you or the one that's on the screen. We just want the opportunity to follow up with you and connect with you. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes one more time before we receive the Lord's tithes and your offering. I wonder if you're here today and you'd say, uh, Sean, I'm saved, but I am in a season of sifting. I am in a season of struggle and I need you to pray for me today. If that's you with nobody looking around, would you just raise your hand so that I could pray for you today? Yep, God, so many people. God, for so many people who are in a struggle, God, who feel like they're being shifted, sifted, siphoned to God. I pray that you give them peace. I pray that you give them strength. I pray that you give them endurance. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I get the honor today to receive the Lord's tithes and your offering. And I was thinking about the one thing that I don't, there's, there's areas of my faith that I wrestle with. But the one area of my faith that I do not wrestle with is generosity. It's a, it's a spiritual gift, but it is also a gift I think that God just gave me. I've always, I was generous before I was a Jesus guy. And so it, it wasn't like one of those muscles that I had to really work a lot for it to get developed. Uh, when I take the spiritual gifts test, I'm gonna talk about that next week, but when I take the spiritual gifts test, it, it gave like 15 different things that are spiritual gifts and it ranks them. And I was shocked to discover that number 14 on my list of 15 spiritual gifts was faith. <laughs> are you kidding me? My job is faith. That's like a guy who drives a truck. The last requirement or qualification he has is the ability to drive. The top thing, I can listen to the radio with the best of them. I know how to talk on a CB or fill it with diesel. It's like, are you kidding me? I was so shocked by it. It's just the muscle that I had because I'm a skeptic. And by being a skeptic, that means faith is a muscle that I really have to be conscious 
to be able to work. My son, uh, he's 18. He's a muscle head. He's, he's big. He, he thinks he's bad. Like, uh, he's 18. So we're walking down the hall a couple weeks ago and he just did one of these. And he, he pushed, like, he pushed me in, like, in, like, I look like a cartoon character. He pushed me into the wall, and then I tried, hey, bro, hey, man, that, you know, that, I just wasn't, I had to have realized he's stronger than me. And so I, I wanted to, like, get, I wanted to get back, I wanted to get back in fighting shape. And so I went to my son, and I said, hey, man, I need, I need to start going to the gym with you. I need you to hold me accountable. I need you to be my partner. He said, no, hold up. We ain't going to be partners. You'll slow me down. I'll go to the gym at the same time as you, and if you have questions, you can come find me. I said, okay, playboy. <laughs> yeah. So here's what I did. I downloaded an app. It's called bodybuilding.com. Now on there, there's an app by a guy named Jim Stepani, and Jim Stepani is not only a bodybuilder and a tattoo artist, but he is a PhD, and I thought, Dr. Muscle, that's what I'm talking about. So I downloaded the app, I subscribed, Got my little program, it says shortcut to size, because I'm not trying to get small, I'm just trying to not be fat. And so on the thing, the last workout of the whole workout is you had to do calf raises. You had to do 25 standing calf raises, and then uh, three sets of 25 standing, and then three sets of 25 sitting. So, you know, I did it. The next day, I woke up and someone had replaced my calves with the calves of someone whose calves do not fit in my skin. I tried to get down out the bed and almost fell. And I looked at my wife and I said, baby, I think I just broke my calves. She goes, that's impossible. I said, that's because you don't have my calves. You don't know, that's not impossible. There was something about it. I had, I felt like I had, like I've worked my calves. Like I walk on my calves every day. But it's different. And generosity is kind of like that for some people. Like it's that, one, it's that one muscle that you think when put into the right opportunity is strong, but mm, it's really not. And see, the Bible says that's the one thing that really tests your faithfulness. Like are you, are you faithful enough that you'll take the one thing that's measurable in your life that you feel like you have possession of and will you turn that thing over to God? And so, again, for me, generosity, it's, I don't even think about it. It's not, it's not, all I'm thinking about is how can I give more? I'm not worried about the little bit that I give, but for me, I gotta struggle with faith. And so today, if your uh, muscle that you haven't been working is generosity, I'm gonna challenge you. Put it to the test today. I'm three days out from that, from that uh, calf workout. I'm still limping. But it isn't as bad as it was yesterday. But here's what I know. Tomorrow, I gotta do calves again. Oh my gosh. And so I'm praying for you guys as you give that God will return it, that he'll multiply it. God, we love you. Thank you for my friends who are so generous in this place. I pray blessings on them. I pray as they give to you, you'll give back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. 
Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thank you.